Thank you for um, this honor to be here. Bob invited me to come and share, and I would like to read James with you guys. Um, James chapter four. And so James, you'll remember, he's uh, the brother of Jesus, and he's a Jew, and so he's coming from a Jewish background, he knows a lot of his Old Testament. We're going to look, look at one of the stories that he knows um, together tonight. Um, he is also a pastor, and he's got a congregation that's got a lot of problems and a lot of Anytime you put humans together in one place, you've got issues, right? And so his church is no different. His church is arguing and fighting, and it's made mostly of Jewish Christians, so people who are coming from a Jewish background but believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And so they've got some unique challenges, like, how do we live as Christians who are also Jews? Like, do we keep all of the religious practices that we did when we were Jews? Do we, like, how do we work out our faith together? And so he's really concerned about not just what they believe, like that they say that Jesus is God. He's really concerned with how they actually treat each other in their community. Like he's talking to them a lot about how, what, what words come out of their mouth? Like, are they words that are up building each other up or are they words that are tearing each other down? He's also worried about what my, this Bible calls the sin of partiality. That's what the commentator put the little title there, which just means that you treat some people one way and treat other well, another way. So he's got a congregation where not everybody's got the same class. Some people are have a lot of money. Some people don't have a lot of money. And he sees that some of the things they're doing in church are like the ways that they've done them in the world. Meaning like the people who have the nice clothes and have money are treated one like a special way. And then the people who don't have money and don't have like nicer clothes are treated the way that they are in the world, which is like kind of overlooked or not really special or paid attention to. So he's, James is really concerned about that. He's also concerned about how they teach or how, how people are treating women and orphans and children. And that's because the women and orphans in that society didn't have, I mean, and that's true still to some extent, like they didn't have as many protections and were more vulnerable. And so he's, he's really concerned with how this community is looking out for people who maybe don't have as many protections around them. So for a lot of chapters, for like chapter one and two and three, he's talking about all these different ways we treat each other. And then he comes to chapter four, and that's what we're going to read together right now. So we're going to read chapter four, verses one through eight. Um, so before I read, though, let's 
Let's pray again together. Um, God, we, every time we come to your word, we know like we need your Holy Spirit to speak to us and um, make the words come alive to us. So tonight, let these words be life for us. Let them be a word from he, you that brings life. Um, silence all the other voices that distract us sometimes or even um, accuse us and help us help us to hear your message to us through through your word um, in Jesus name amen so James says what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you it is not this that your passions are at war within you is it not this that your passions are at war within you you desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly and to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he is made to dwell in us, but he gives us more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. And this is God's word. So there's this long history, right, of humans fighting with each other, and like I was saying, this congregation wasn't, wasn't any different. They were fighting about things that we fight about, even though they're like totally separated from us in terms of time. It was like thousands of years ago. They were still fighting about money and power and positions. And like I said, James, I don't know if I mentioned this, but James was actually harder on the rich. He is basically telling the rich over and over again, you are um, buying into the world system of, you know, money and power and position. And that's totally different from God's kingdom. And like the church is the place where we're living out together what God's kingdom looks like. Even imperfectly right and they were too <laughs> they were definitely not perfect at it so james though is saying like a tree you know that if you go up to a tree and you have like a really bad apple the reason that the fruit is bad is you have to look down below and the roots are often not getting water like the roots are bad and so he's looking at the fruit of like they're fighting and quarreling with each other. 
and he's saying, okay, come on a trip with me down to the roots. We're gonna look at how the roots are together. And what James is showing this congregation at the roots is their heart, right? He's, he's just telling them what all of us know, that when you want something and you don't have it, it makes you feel jealous maybe, or angry, or like you might even do something to get it that later you regret. And so he's saying the real source of these fights is not like that person who's annoying, but it's, I mean, that could be part of it, of course, but it's really about like you want something and you covet, that means, you know, you want it for you and you don't have it. And so he, he's pretty strong in this passage, right? He says you murder or you kill. And there's definitely, you know, it could be real killing that he's talking about, taking someone's life. And also there's a lot of ways that we kill one another, right? Like besides taking someone's life, just a look can kill. Like words we know can kill. Like some of us have had words spoken over us maybe that killed, like it crushed something in our soul. And, and so, so there's a lot of different ways um, that we can kill each other as humans besides just like actually taking somebody's life. Um, I wanna share another passage with you guys from Romans. So if we flip over to Romans, we're gonna read how, Saint, how Paul talks about this war that's within each human to like have this battle between what we want and what we know is right because before we became Christians, we were just like guided by what we wanted, right? Is like, okay, I want maybe to have a nice house or I want to like, I want money or I want power or position. So I'm just gonna do whatever I, I can to get it. And that's how the world functions, right? Like people are, trying to kind of make the best life that they can for themselves. And then we, we become Christian and in some ways, like our life gets more complicated, right? Because now we've got this other desire to please God and to serve God. And sometimes we can feel this tension between our old habit, our old habits and ways of being and this the Holy Spirit, the voice of God in us that is like offering us another, another way. Um, and so Paul was one of those people who felt this tension. And so if we flip over to Romans for a second. Um, I got to set my mic down. You want another stand from your Bible? That's okay. okay. I'll just 
<laughs> uh, thanks. Okay, so Paul is talking about um, what he, how he does what he doesn't want to do. Do you guys know this verse? Do you see it? Because I'm having trouble finding it. <laughs> what verse is it? I think it's in chapter six or seven. Why do I do the things I don't want to do? Yeah, that's the one, Jessica. First one finds it is the first one that finds it. The first one that finds it. That's right. <laughs> well, I'm not used to this Bible, but here the point is like you guys know the verse. He says that the things that I want to do, I don't do. And it's right in the middle of like Romans six and seven, if you want to find it later. But the end of seven. oh, the end of seven. Okay, yeah. So thanks, thanks, Lisa. So he says, now if I do what I don't want, I agree with the law, and that is good. So it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. And then a little bit further down, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. So even, I mean, to me, that's reassuring. Like Paul, we can kind of think of him as this giant of the faith, like this great pastor who had a shared God's word and shared the gospel with so many people, but, but Paul was just like us and had this desire to do the right thing, but, or not even the right thing, but the desire to do, to live according to, according to God's plan for him. And he couldn't, he couldn't do it. So again, this is, James looking at the root of the tree and saying, you know, the fruit is that you guys are quarreling and you're fighting, but the root is that you are still um, ruled by your desires and what and by what you want and aren't getting. And so sin in this way, um, I want to invite you guys to think of sin for a minute as a snake that bites. <laughs> I know that's not an original image. Like you go to Genesis and that's how the writers of Genesis think about sin too, as a snake. Um, but I want to tell you a story about a snake that is pretty uh, crazy story that's in Numbers 21. So in, uh, it kind of illustrates this idea of um, what it looks like when arguing happens. So in Numbers 21, the people of Israel have just been freed from Egypt. Like they're, God has led them out of slavery in Egypt. And God has even helped them fight a battle against their enemies at the time, who were the Canaanites. And God has helped them win the battle. So they're like, I think, fresh off of a win and fresh off of seeing God 
like at work in their lives, but they get impatient, you know, they're in the desert and they also like legitimately get hungry and thirsty too. And so they start speaking bad about God and about Moses. And one of the, they start asking questions like, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die? You know, so they no longer are thinking and acting like God is good and that God has got their best interest in mind. They're starting to believe and act like God doesn't care about them and that God's led them out into this desert to die. And I love, they even say, you know, we don't have any food, we don't have any water, and we hate this food, which I love because isn't that exactly what we do when we get in that really like impatient, desperate place is we don't even think straight anymore because if they didn't have water and they didn't have food, like how can they hate the food? You know, it's like they don't even know anymore which way is up and which way is down. They're, they're just in a really hard place towards God and saying, we hate this food that you've given us. And so um, what happens in Numbers is like a crazy story. God sends poisonous snakes among the people, and the people start to die. And, and the people go to Moses, and they say, Moses, pray for us. Like, we're dying here because of these snakes. And, and we, we see that we, um, that we sinned against God. And um, I don't think that God, um, you know, the way that God worked in the Old Testament among the people of Israel and the way that God works today in the Skagit Valley in 2021 is not identical. So I don't think God is sending poisonous snakes to the Skagit Valley. But for me, what those snakes are is like a vivid picture of what sin is like for us, because it really does bite us doesn't it? Like, even in the moment, if we don't realize it, down the road, we're like, oh, man, I have snake bites all over. And what's more, like, I've bitten all the people around me. And so it does lead us to this place of, of death. And so they go to Moses and they say, Moses, would you pray for us? And so Moses prays, and God gives this really weird answer to Moses's prayer. He says, Moses, I want you to make a snake. And I want you to make a snake out of bronze, which is just like a material that they had on hand. Make this snake and put it up high on a pole. And then whenever the people who have been bitten by a snake and are dying um, look at this snake on the pole, they'll live, which is like, so odd. What in the world is going on here? And Jesus actually talks about this story in John chapter 3. So in John chapter 3, Jesus meets this guy named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is asking him all about life. Like, what does it mean to be born again? And this is where we have that famous Bible verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, 
that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And do you know what comes right before that verse? The verse right before that one is just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So I know we're not used to thinking of Jesus as a snake, <laughs> but God in God's creative, amazing plan has taken the very thing that bites us and kills it, kills us and has turned it on its head. And that is what Jesus did for us when Jesus died on the on the cross which if you think about a cross it's like a pole right it's like a pole that Jesus was on with a cross beam on top of it so just as the Israelites looked up at this snake every time they were bitten and they lived that is where you and I look every time we're bitten or someone bites us or um anytime we are accused by um, the enemy. Sometimes the hardest person for us to forgive is ourselves. And so looking up at Jesus on the cross is, um, is our source of life. So James, he's talking again as Jesus's brother, someone who knew Jesus pretty well, I imagine, and also as a Jew and for Jewish people, there is this tradition called the two ways. So one way leads to life and the other leads to death. And, you know, our desires, they are, they're given to us by God, right? I don't want to say tonight that like our desires are bad because God created us to want things. And like we want to have shelter over our heads. That's a good desire. We want to uh, raise our kids well. That's a good desire. We want to have enough money to buy clothes and eat. Like, that's a good desire. We have, have desires for a reason. And desires are good. They're not bad. And at the same time, they're also tricky, right? Like, if our desires are running the show, um, it doesn't end well for us. It ends in like a snake bite. <laughs> um, and so the question I want to ask you guys tonight is um, who gets to call the shots and who gets to rule? Because our desires are great if um, they're ordered under Jesus's um, rule. If Jesus is the ruler, and then all of our other desires are ordered by him, then they're a source of life for us and for other people. God will give some of us desires to, um, like, knock on a neighbor's door, you know, or give us desires um, to, to do things, like, professionally to go out and, and start a business or to... Um, you know, just reach out to a friend or reconcile maybe with someone in our family who we've been um, arguing with for a long time. So our desires are um, something that God 
uses for for his kingdom and and he actually like knows that how each one of us is individual and different in that way we all desire different things which is pretty pretty cool that he knows us uniquely like that um so the passage this morning or this evening ends with submit yourselves then to god and because we have uh, Jesus who was lifted up on a pole for us, lifted up on a cross, a God who is love and who invites us to come to him just as we are, not, not like we have to clean up our act or try to you know, impress him in any way, but just to come to him, even with our messed up desires and things all out of order in our house, um, that because God is love, we can submit to him. And that's actually counterintuitive. Like we think we have to sometimes try harder, but the way out is down. Actually, the way out of sin and snake bites is submission, <laughs> lying down before Jesus and saying, I want you to rule every single part. And sometimes um, we need we need prayer, like we need, just like the Israelites that went to Moses, we need to pray, and each one of us has the same Holy Spirit and can pray for ourselves, um, but sometimes also we need prayer uh, together to, to ask someone, to tell someone what's going on with us, and to say, I need, I need you, you to come with me and pray with me to God about this. So I want to invite you to that tonight. Like if you have something that God's bringing to mind and you've prayed about it on your own and now you feel like you need a little boost from a brother or a sister to reach out to someone in this community, um, you know, Julio or Bob or Gracie or uh, it doesn't have to be a pastor. It can be just the person sitting next to you. We all, again, have the same spirit. Um, and to pray about that. And then um, God has put the Holy Spirit in us. And I love that part in the passage we read tonight that says he's jealous for the spirit that he's put in us. Because um, if any of you have experienced jealousy, and I know I have, the cure for jealousy is to see God's jealous love for us, that they, God so loved the world that he gave his only son and that Jesus was lifted up on a pole, on a, on a Roman cross to be um, a source of life, not just a source of life, but life for us. So let's, let us pray. God, we thank you so much for um, Jesus and your sacrifice for us and for your jealous love that means that we're the most important and it, you know, it doesn't really make sense how each one of us can be the most important in your kingdom and your family but because you are God and because you created each one of us so uniquely and you know each one of our our names and you just delight in each one of us the way that a mother or a father can sometimes
delight in a, in a, in a child and a baby. Um, so, you know, that's like the, such an imperfect picture, God, we thank you for your love that just, um, you would die and be lifted up on a, on a pole so that, um, we never had to, uh, our sins could never accuse us and just, and just, um, that you offered us a way out and you offer us a way of life. And so I just pray God that you would, um, take us deeper in your love as Mike often prayed and that you would show us if there's places that, um, maybe you want us to take another step of just laying, laying it down before you and, and receiving your healing and receiving, um, the healing that you want to give us from the bites that we've received and maybe those that we've given as well. So, um, I love you, God, and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.